Welcome back to NBA Talk with Isaac Wolf. I am your host, Isaac Wolf. It's the start of a new season. Tomorrow is. The NBA's 75th anniversary. I am so excited. We're not talking about the preseason here. We are going to preview the regular season because the preseason means, means absolutely nothing and I don't care at all about it. So first, we're going to preview the standings. How are they going to look for both conferences, 1 through 15? Let's start with the East. We're going to go bottom to top here. So number 15, the Orlando Magic are going to be the worst team in the league this year. There's no doubt in my mind. They traded their three best players away last year. There are only three like really quality players. Nikola Vucevic, Aaron Gordon, and Evan Fournier. They added Jalen Suggs, which could be considered a steal at the, with the fifth pick because he should have gone fourth. But this team is just so young, and they lack really any talent at all. I don't expect them to win more than 20 games. I'd be, they might be lucky to get to 15 this year. Who knows? Number 14, the Toronto Raptors. They are in rebuild mode because now Kyle Lowry is gone. That era, that whole era with Lowry and DeRozan, that was, DeRozan's been gone for a few seasons now, but Kawhi was there for one season. Ibaka's out. Gasol is now out. That whole championship team is looking a lot different now besides Pascal Siakam, who is going to miss probably the first month of the season with shoulder surgery, which he got in the, uh, or maybe like in May, I believe. So that's something to watch. I think the Raptors will struggle pretty hard out of the gate with really no, you know, all-star caliber player or really any star on that team. Siakam, once he comes back, will assume that role. But number 13, the Detroit Pistons. They got the big addition of the offseason, Cade Cunningham. He should have a big rookie year. Although I don't think he's going to have like the most explosive or eye-popping numbers. Part of it is maybe because he's in Detroit, he could average, you know, 18 and 8 and no one would care much about it. But the pieces around Cunningham, at least for this season, are going to be, they're going to be okay. They are lacking talent similar to these other teams at the bottom of the conference. They do have Jeremy Grant, who was a borderline all-star last year, surprisingly. And then Kelly Olynyk, who finished the season really strong with the Rockets after he was traded and I believe the Victor Oladipo trade from the Heat. Olynyk shot so well from three. So those two are probably his best options, you know, to defer to. And then the rest of the team is really just too young to do much of anything. Killian Hayes is 20. Uh, Sadiq Bey is 22. Isaiah Stewart is 20. They have a solid core. They have a lot of nice young pieces Hamadou Diallo as well, but they're just too young. I don't expect them to take a big step, you know, this season. Stewart needs to expand his offense but beyond the free throw line. Bay, I think, is probably the best of those three. He's a two-way threat. He's a two-way wing, and he's a great three-point shooter. But Killian Hayes hasn't shown me anything. This team, you're going to have to give him another at least probably two or three, maybe four years to get to where they could be a playoff team with Cade Cunningham. Maybe he attracts some free agents in the future. But as of right now, I think the Pistons are still going to sit near the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Number 12, the Washington Wizards. Bradley Beal is probably going to average 30 a night again this season. Spencer Dinwiddie. Remember they got him this offseason. It's kind of a wait and see with him because, you know, he's coming off a torn ACL. We really don't know what to expect. He was, you know, six-man-of-the-year candidate in Brooklyn before – 
the injury and you know he had that breakout year with Detroit before that but this team was very dysfunctional to start last season and they had Russell Westbrook last year he's not there anymore I'm not saying Russ was the reason they were dysfunctional I would I would argue that Russ and Beal should you know work together better as all-stars and not be as dysfunctional but the Lakers pieces they'll be an okay addition since they traded Westbrook to LA for Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Kyle Kuzma is important this year. If he plays to his potential, which we really, I don't even think we've seen Kyle Kuzma's ceiling yet, the Wizards could have a mini three. <laughs> Not a big three, but three quality players that can put up 15 a night, you know, with Dinwiddie, Beal, and Kuzma. It'll be interesting to see how he does, how Kyle does outside of LA, because... We've seen it with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram. They have thrived in New Orleans, and now Ball's going to Chicago. So maybe Kuzma's next. Number 11, the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think the Cavs are going to surprise some people this year, although, you know, you look at the standings 11th, that doesn't sound impressive, but it's better than what they have been. Darius Garland's production last year needs to be talked about more. He averaged 17 points and 6 assists per game. I thought he was a bust after his rookie year. I think most people did, but his second year, he took he took a big next step. You know, he's, he's, he's living up to the number five overall pick status. We know what Colin Sexton is capable of. Those two prove they can play in the same backcourt. They have a load of bigs. Evan Mobley, the number three overall pick who could be very special. Jared Allen, Kevin Love, Lowry Markkinen. They got Taco Fall, too. They signed him to a two-way deal, although I don't think he's going to get used at all because they have an abundance of bigs ahead of him. I don't know why Taco always gets signed by the team with the most bigs in the league. It's kind of annoying. But anyway, their front court is loaded. They do need wing depth, though. Really, all they have right now, Sexton's going to be the two. But at the three, I think Isaac Okoro is probably going to start. And then their backups at the two and three are Denzel Valentine and Jetty Osman. Wings are very important in this league. So, there, I don't think, can't find the words here, not having quality wings is going to hurt them. They will have two solid pick and roll duos, you know, you can mix and match Garland and Sexton with Mobley and Jared Allen. The Cavs are on the up, but I do think Isaac Okoro needs to develop a little bit more to get this team to a potential to a team that could potentially fight for a playoff spot. The Cavs are on the up, but so are the Charlotte Hornets. This team is a playoff contender this year, although I don't think they'll get it. They have been together long enough to make a run. La- Lonzo, LaMelo Ball is coming off his Rookie of the Year season. His connection with Miles Bridges is still there. It's amazing. You know, the passes, Bridges finishes, those are just those just make for the greatest highlights those alley-oops between those two pj washington they have pj washington who's probably going to play the five this year kelly they signed kelly Oubre. terry rogier surprised a, a lot of people since he came to charlotte they added mason Plumley, a much needed center and they drafted james Booknight. they have all the pieces don't forget gordon hayward as well sometimes i forget he's there because he's injured so much but will their lack of experience hurt them later on in the season probably I think they'll make the play-in, but then lose. Number nine, the team just outside of the playoffs, the Indiana Pacers once again. 
This team has experience. They have veteran guys that work well together. Their core is Brogdon, Lavert, and Sabonis. Brogdon, I believe, just signed a two-year, $45 million extension like an hour ago. But Karis Lavert has a stress fracture in his back and is probably going to miss the start of the season. Once he's back, though, they're going to make a run for the playoffs. I'm afraid they won't have enough to make it to the playoffs, though, because there are arguably eight teams better than them. Like, the East is really, really good this year. And that's proven by me saying that the Bulls are going to be number eight. The Bulls are going to be the eighth seed. What? Yeah. I think they're going to be the most improved team in the league. They're going to ha- they have Lonzo Ball now. They got Zach Levine still. And they got DeMar DeRozan. Vucevic, too. They are going to take this team places. And they have young talent as well. Kobe White, Patrick Williams. And their depth is so-so. Alex Caruso, Derek Jones Jr., Troy Brown, Alizé Johnson, Their franchise has been very dysfunctional lately. Their front office hasn't been consistent. They have a good coach, Billy Donovan. This should be a playoff team this year. So I have the Bulls in the last spot at number eight. Number seven, the New York Knicks. Their defense is so great that it keeps them in the playoffs for me. They added Kemba and Evan Fournier. The offense is going to be a lot more potent, which is so key because they were the best defensive team in the league last season, but they could not score outside of Julius Randle and Derrick Rose. They had nowhere to go offensively. Now they have Kemba. Now they have Evan Fournier and it's going to be, it's going to do wonders for them. I think the fourth seed last year, unfortunately was a fluke. They will be better this year than last year, but not in the standings. If that makes sense. Number six, the Boston Celtics. The Celtics shocked a lot of people last year with how bad they were. There was a lack of consistency with lineups, of course, with injuries and COVID, and they're already having COVID, already having COVID issues this year. Jalen Brown and Al Horford tested positive. My bold prediction for the Celtics this season is that Jason Tatum will take the leap to superstardom super superstardom this year. I think he's going to average close to 30 points a game. I'm talking 28, 29 points a game. I think the Celtics' ceiling is the third seed. That's how good they can be if Tatum, you know, is that good. Hopefully, inconsistencies aren't as prevalent this year as they were last year for Boston because I really don't know how to rank them because we didn't really see them at full strength at all last season. Number five, the Philadelphia 76ers. Ben Simmons may be coming back. I think he actually did practice today with Philly. We don't know if that's going to translate to time on the court in the regular season. We don't know if he's actually going to be in the lineup or not. But assuming he's not, Joel Embiid can only do so much. And, you know, that so much is a lot. I think he's in the MVP conversation this year. He's actually going to be my MVP runner-up, in my opinion. But it's not enough to keep the Sixers in contention in terms of getting out of the East. If Simmons does play, at what level is the main question? If it's his normal regular season level, the Sixers could be third. Still two tiers behind the Nets and a tier behind the Bucks. Here's the Eastern Conference hierarchy for me. Tier 1, Nets. Tier 2, Bucks. Tier 3, Sixers. They all have their own tier because... You know, Tier, tier 4 is Heat, Hawks, and Celtics. Tier 5 is Bulls and Knicks, you know... The Nets, Bucks, and Sixers are just so distinctly different. They're all very good, but they're so distinctly different, in my opinion, in terms of the level that they're on. 
that I put them in three separate tiers, but that's their, I mean, there, there's just too much unknown about Ben Simmons to make really a solid prediction here. I think if Ben Simmons plays like he normally does, the Sixers are the, are the three seed, but who knows what's going to happen with that. Number four, the Atlanta Hawks. This team surprised me so much last year. They, they, they surprised everybody, especially in the, in the playoffs. I mean, I thought they would be a playoff team. I predicted they would be a playoff team. But Eastern Conference Finals, that was unbelievable. Trey Young took the leap leadership-wise much quicker than I expected. Their season turned around after the firing of Lloyd Pierce. Nate McMillan stepped in, and, and he was so good. The win-loss total from before and after is just amazing. I don't have it with me right now, but it was just complete. You know, flip the script. This team has all the pieces back. They have a great starting five. A solid bench. Two good rookies loaded with potential. Two steals. They got two steals. Mm, Sharif Cooper, probably the steal of the draft. And then Jalen Johnson. Both were standouts in the summer league. This team's future. I think them and the Bucks could go back and forth for the next decade. With the Nets being done after, you know, another three to four years. Number three, the Miami Heat. The Heat last year were hit big time with inconsistencies like the Celtics, mainly with COVID. The addition of Kyle Lowry is a perfect fit. He and Butler have the same game, same mindset. Okay, maybe not the same game, but they have the same mindset. Bam Adebayo is constantly improving. I think he's got a chance to be Defensive Player of the Year this year. Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson are still going to be knockdown shooters. P.J. Tucker, another perfect fit. Offseason addition. And they have other solid veterans like Markeith Morris, Victor Oladipo. They have a couple of young question marks. And what I mean by that is they're good at like one thing, but we really don't know what their potential is. Gabe Vincent is a really good shooter. Max Struess is also a very good shooter. And then Casey Okpala is still pretty raw, I mean. So it's kind of wait and see with them. And then they have Udonis Haslam. Don't discredit Udonis Haslam's role on this team. He's a longtime veteran. He'll lead these guys off the, on, and, on and off the court for sure. And his impact from the bench will be felt by this team. I'm surprised he hasn't retired yet. He's so old in terms of NBA you know, in terms of NBA age, but number two, the Brooklyn Nets. While Harden should be available most of the time, I'm guessing Durant's going to rest here and there. And Kyrie's probably not going to play. I assume a trade or honestly, a rule change will occur because of this. I would be shocked if Kyrie's stance, you know, with him being unvaccinated, would uh, were to change. The Nets are preparing without him. And look, that's fine. I support Kyrie, you know, really choosing what he wants to do. It's just unfortunate that he's in a market where the city, the city's law literally requires people to get the vaccine. It's just a really unfortunate situation for him. But the Nets will still win a lot. Not as much as the Bucks, though, in the regular season. The, the Milwaukee Bucks are my number one seed in the East this year. They are a regular season team last year that proved they can win in the postseason as well. I think the reigning champions will pick up right where they left off. Not much, you know, really needs to be explained. We've, we know what, we really know what to expect from them. However, the loss of P.J. Tucker will be a bigger deal than you think, specifically on defense and in the playoffs, you will notice it. Likely another 60-65 win season for the Milwaukee Bucks. When we come back, we are going to preview 
the Western Conference. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to NBA Talk with Isaac Wolf. I'm your host, Isaac Wolf. It's time to preview the Western Conference, starting at the bottom with number 15, the New Orleans Pelicans. They have Zion. Eh, not really. He's out for two weeks to start the season. Who knows? His injury could linger longer than that with his injury history. Brandon Ingram and Zion are really the only bright spots in this otherwise struggling franchise. Zion needs to get out of there. Pelicans dead last. In my predictions in the West. Number 14, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Other than Shea Gilgis Alexander, they don't really have much going for them. They have a lot of young, unproven guys. Darius Baisley, Pokashevsky, Josh Giddy, their first round pick, Isaiah Roby. Maybe one or some of them take the next step this season. We'll have to see. I didn't like the Giddy pick. My expectations for the Thunder are pretty low. Number 13, the Minnesota Timberwolves. I've said this before. Their starting five is quality. Their bench is terrible. Their bench is going to limit their ceiling. It's, it's, it's just true. Along with Delo's in, injury history, and if Cat is starting to build one possibly as well, that is like the worst possible thing that could happen to the Timberwolves. Anthony Edwards should take a leap this year, first to second year. I thought he should have been rookie of the year last year. I think he's going to be even better this year. I have high expectations for him. So the Timberwolves, 13th. Number 12, the Sacramento Kings. They had a chance at the play-in near the end of last year. They're pretty guard-heavy in terms of talent. De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Davion Mitchell, who could make a run at Rookie of the Year. He's one of my favorite players in this draft class. The best on-ball defender. Best defender in the draft. Marvin Bagley has proven he's too injury-prone. I'm ready to write him off. Rashawn Holmes will be productive. Points and rebounds. Harrison Barnes, the veteran, will still be there. Very average team, though, in the West. That's not enough. Number 11, the San Antonio Spurs. Greg Popovich's coaching is honestly what has them this high. Certainly not the most talented team in the league. However, losing DeMar DeRozan could be a good thing. Why? Because the whole team could break out. Not with COVID. Derek White, DeJounte Murray, Keldon Johnson, Lonnie Walker, all four of those guys I think could have breakout years. Maybe even Devin Vassell as well. They brought back Bryn Forbes, who is a knockdown three-point shooter. Their front court... However, will be pretty bad. Thaddeus Young, Jakob Pertl, Drew Eubanks, just not good enough. That is a productive veteran, but I'm not a big fan of Eubanks or Pertl, though. But again, the guards and wings could all break out this year and make San Antonio surprisingly competitive. Number 10, the Houston Rockets. This will be a development year, but they still have a shot at the play-in. Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr., mm, I love this duo. I think they're going to become a great backcourt. This season, however, is the testing grounds. We'll see how it goes. Christian Wood has a chance to be an all-star. I'm interested to see how the other draft picks develop as well, how much they use them, how much the Rockets use them in the lineup. Josh Christopher, Usman Garuba, Alpert, and Shingun. The trio of Porter Jr., Green, and Wood will be the reason why this team is competitive, honestly. Because they're three talented players, and I think they have a chance to all be all-stars someday. Number nine, the Memphis Grizzlies. They made the playoffs last year. Why aren't they in it this year? The Warriors are back. It's that simple. That's the difference. Memphis is clearly good enough to be in the playoffs. I just think that the Warriors fully healthy would handle them in a playing game. Even though Ja went into San Francisco last year and knocked off Golden State to secure a play-in spot, it or playoff spot, I mean, it's just different this year with Clay back. 
Number eight. Wait, before I go to number eight. The Grizzlies locked up Jaron Jackson Jr. for four years and $105 million on a contract extension today, so congratulations to him. Number eight, the Portland Trailblazers. I have the same expectations for them every year because they have the same team every year. However, this year they lost Derrick Jones Jr., Ennis Cantor, and Melo, so they'll be a little bit worse. Their depth is pretty iffy now, and they'll go as far as Dame takes them. Don't forget about CJ McCollum, though. Number seven, the Golden State Warriors. The first half of the season may be rough. Clay's return target date is... Christmas supposedly they'll be okay without him I think eight nine maybe ten seed once he comes back I think it will make a huge difference and we will see shades of the Warriors of old not completely but at the same time can't have Steph without Clay or Clay without Steph and Iggy coming back that's a big deal too number six the Dallas Mavericks Luka Doncic will put up MVP numbers but his team will be low enough in the standings that it won't really matter Really, the only other thing I have to say about the Mavericks is hopefully Kristaps Porzingis can stay healthy. I don't really know much to say because Luka's going to carry them. Anyway, number five, the Denver Nuggets. They have the reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic. They'll go as far as he takes them because they don't have Jamal Murray for a significant portion of the season. So that will hurt. However, it could be good for Michael Porter Jr. He could go off and make a run at most improved player. Number four, the Los Angeles Clippers. They're going to start the season off without Kawhi. How long? We don't know. But I've heard Kawhi is progressively getting better. He's doing he's doing better. And his rehab is going quicker than expected. However, Paul George is going to be in the MVP conversation to start the season. Y'all saw what he did in the conference finals and the conference semifinals last year without him. That's where he's he's gonna he's gonna pick up right where he left off. Average 30 points a game, probably. To start the season, once Kawhi comes back, their production will balance out. So I don't think PG's in the long-term MVP conversation. But the team was so the team was very close last year without Kawhi. I mean, they took the Suns to what was it, six games without Kawhi Leonard. If they had Kawhi Leonard, I think the Los Angeles Clippers would have been the NBA champions if they ended up playing the Bucks. But everyone is back, including Ibaka. And I'm expecting big things from Terrence Mann as well. Their bench is as deep as ever. This team is primed to make a run when Kawhi comes back healthy for the playoffs. Hopefully earlier than that. Number three, the Phoenix Suns. Last year's Western Conference representative in the finals, Devin Booker, will continue to ascend. I'm not sure about Aiton. I'm going to be honest. I loved what I saw from him in that Clippers series. But in the finals... He didn't do so well, and he in the front office cannot, did not today. Today was the deadline for contract extensions. They did not come to an agreement. Aiden thinks he deserves the max. Phoenix didn't want to give it to him. So how is Aiden going to play as a result of that? We don't know. Chris Paul will probably produce a similar stat line, although he's getting old. He's got to get older at some point. He's got to dip off a little bit. But I don't think they get back to the finals this year. Monty Williams is a terrific coach, but I expect them to have a strong regular season and make a conference finals run in the playoffs. Not any deeper than that. Number two, the Utah Jazz. Once again, a regular season team. Maybe conference finals contender, but I think the way they play is perfect for, you know, a regular season. Ball movement, three-point shooting, multiple weapons. Yes, Donovan is the star, but other guys can beat you on, you know, any given night. Really, Gobert inside, Clarkson off the bench, Mike Conley, Bogdanovich from the outside. They're the best three-point shooting team. They were the best three-point shooting team in the league last season. That's going to win some ball games. But the question is, now how can they adjust 
in the playoffs in order to make a deeper run because they have some talent. They have the superstar talent with Donovan Mitchell. I think they need more though, more like superstar talent. They haven't really figured it out yet. I think it's kind of a Bucks situation almost for them, how Giannis was dealing with Milwaukee the first, you know, whatever, five, six, seven seasons of his career. Number one, the Los Angeles Lakers. I know this is obvious, but like, if they're all healthy, how can you argue against it? Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis on the same team. I think they may struggle to start the season a little bit. You know, we're just going to ignore their 0-6 preseason record because it means nothing. But, you know, just meshing together could cause a few bumps in the first 10 or so games. However, 12... Why did the NBA do this? This is just unfair. 12 of their first 15 games are at home. That's going to help big time. They could start on fire because they got some of the issues out in the preseason. Russ is going to have to slow down a little bit. He's going to have to get some control. He's just running and turning the ball. He's just running around and turning the ball over. (laughs) That's what he was doing the first six games. (laughs) But it's preseason. I take zero stock in it. Lakers, best team in the West, best record in the West. Although I think the Bucs will have the best record in the NBA. Playoff predictions. For the Eastern Conference Finals, I have Nets, Bucks, the one and two seeds. And I'm going to say Nets in seven. Why? The Nets were a shoe size away. I've said this a million times. From winning the finals last year, they didn't have Kyrie anyway. Harden wasn't 100%. Durant dropped 50. He did all that he could. This team is right where they left off last season, except they get an upgrade in James Harden's production because he's not injured anymore. He doesn't have a grade two hamstring strain. I'm not too worried about Kyrie not being there because, you know, the organization has come to a consensus, consensus decision to not have him play, and they're ready to play without him. Brooklyn will be fine. They have more depth. Cam Thomas is going to step up. The rookie, I think, is going to get buckets this year. This team will be at the top of my list still for championship contenders. In the Western Conference, Lakers-Suns. I'm going to say Lakers in six. Barring injuries, who's going to stop this team other than the free throw line? I think the Lakers have positional matchups, or excuse me, positional matchup advantages one through five in this series, except at shooting guard with Devin Booker. So four out of the five positions, I think they have, you know, an an advantage. I'm more confident in the Suns this year in terms of performing, but not getting back to the finals just because of how tough the West is this year. And if everyone's healthy, I don't think they measure up to the Lakers. No one does really. And so in the NBA finals, I have the Nets and the Lakers. And I have the Nets in six. I'm sorry. It's a basic prediction, you know, Nets, Lakers. But you can't predict injuries either. So I'm just going to go with the two teams that should meet in this series. Both teams are deep. KD and Harden will be the best duo in the league this season. In ways, I think that duo has the advantage, has an advantage over the trio. For the Lakers, and when I'm talking about the trio, I'm talking about Kyrie, Harden, and Durant all together. I think just Harden and Durant could do better than those three. And then obviously, you know, it could really go for both, you know, LeBron, AD, and Russ, or the Nets three. But anyway, for the Lakers, all three need the paint to be effective, really. Like, LeBron and AD can stretch the floor, but not like Harden and Durant. The Nets duo can get it done with a barrage from outside, mid-range, or driving to the paint. They're more versatile on offense. I expect these games... To be close games, don't you, in this series? So when it comes down to free throws, because we know those are important in late game situations, let's look at 
the big three for the Lakers. Russell Westbrook last year shot 65% from the free throw line. Last year, LeBron James shot 69% from the free throw line. And last year, Anthony Davis shot 73% from the free throw line. That is not good. Straight up, it's not good. They're, they're going to have to go to mellow in those situations. Meanwhile, Durant, 88%. Harden, 86%. Kyrie was like 93%, but, you know, he's probably not playing. So let's go with his backup, Patty Mills, 91%. When it comes down to close games and fouls, the Nets can close, the Lakers cannot. Brooklyn also has an abundance of shooters in late-game situations. KD, Harden, Joe Harris, Patty Mills, even Cam Thomas. He does not lack confidence for a rookie. The Lakers lack shooters. LeBron is in the category, not because he's a great shooter, but simply he's just a great clutch shooter. So, like, when the game's on the line, I'm, I'll give the Lakers that. Melo is their next best option with maybe Ariza, Malik Monk, and Wayne Ellington after that. I don't want Russ shooting outside in that situation. I don't want AD stretching the floor in that situation. Now, yes, I know Davis had two clutch threes in the in the bubble. You know, his game winner against the Nuggets and then one late in one of the finals games. I think it was the one where they went up 3-1 against the Heat. But the Nets are just simply better set up for clutch situations than the Lakers. That's why, even without Kyrie, I give them the advantage over LA in the finals. All right, it's time to move to awards. Starting with coach of the year, I think it's going to go to Nate McMillan of the Atlanta Hawks. You know, the top seed coaches, they're just kind of like too obvious. And honestly, the teams they're coaching are too talented to, you know, really give them consideration. And what I mean by that is, like Steve Nash, you're coaching Durant and Harden. You, you should have the second best record in the in the East. Mike Budenholzer, you have Giannis. You should be coaching. You know, you should be this the first seed, top two seed in the East. Nate McMillan has a weaker lineup. You know, he's got a superstar with Trey Young, but then, you know, they're just other pieces that work well together. Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Clint Capella. So I'm going with Nate McMillan because of how well he finished the season last year and turned that team around. I think he's going to continue with this year. Sixth man of the year, Derek Rose. I couldn't think of really any other significant ones. Maybe Montrez Harrell with Washington or Jordan Clarkson with Utah, but Derek Rose is who came to mind for me. Possible... You know, it's it's possible because with the addition of Kemba Walker, I doubt Rose will start. Walker may be out too much though. He could be injured so much that Rose doesn't get enough or doesn't get enough games coming off the bench. But Derek had a resurgence in a more limited role since coming to New York. 28 points and 6 assists in their last preseason game. He's engaged and he's a great candidate for this award this year. Most improved player for me? This is always the hardest one to pick, but I'm going with Kevin Porter Jr. This does seem, this one actually seems pretty obvious to me this year. Porter could be Harden's replacement in Houston. He's a lefty. He's a prolific scorer who can create shots for himself and create for others as well. He has a step back like Harden's. I'm just saying, I think Kevin, I don't think he's going to be on that level, but I think he's going to play very similar, similarly to the way James Harden did. The offense is going to be his and Jalen Green's. Their back, that backcourt is so dynamic offensively. Defensively, they're going to struggle. But in a few years, that offense is going to take them places. I think both will be future all-stars. 
Last year was the first step for Porter Jr. He was traded from Cleveland, played in the G League, and then finished the season strong with Houston, you know, once he got <laughs> once he got his mind straight, honestly, because there were some issues going on in Cleveland. That's why, even though he was so talented and clearly, you know, basically the MVP of the G League, that he had to he that he had to be down there for the whole season. But he had a 50-point, 11-assist game against the Bucks late in the season. This year should be the year he takes a big leap. 20 to 22 points per game, I'm talking. 7 to 8 assists per game. Borderline all-star. I think that's how big of a leap he could take. He's one of the best-kept secrets in the league. No one knows about him. He was irrelevant to everyone last year because he was with Cleveland, first of all, and he wasn't really playing much. Then he was in the G League, who nobody really cares about. And then Houston was so bad, I think the common NBA fan forgot that team existed last season. And they certainly didn't know the roster since Harden left. Kevin Porter Jr., I'm pretty sure of that pick for most improved player this year. Defensive player of the year. This one's another hard one, but at the same time, it's kind of easy because it's like the same guys every year in contention. I, I'm going to say no to Kawhi because he's out. Rudy Gobert can't win it forever. My goodness. Is this guy really worthy of winning three defensive player of the years? And then I don't think AD is in, honestly invested enough on that end anymore. Bam Adebayo, maybe. Draymond Green is getting older. Who does that leave? Giannis. He won one already. I think he'll have the best defensive statistical season of anyone. Maybe you consider Joel Embiid as well. For rookie of the year, the other part of the Houston backcourt, Jalen Green. This is going to come down to Caden Jalen. Those are the top two. They're on their, you know, they, they're in their own tier in terms of the rookies this season. And I'm going with Jalen because he's more explosive. He's a more explosive scorer. He's more flashy. He's going to get more attention. And I think he'll put up better numbers. Him and KPJ are the future. They're going to control the offense for years to come. Jalen is so talented. He's got a chance to put up 20 a game this year. I'm predicting, you know, 16. But he's going to get the flashy plays, the eye-popping scoring stats and in houston compared to detroit Cade will be great i think it will just be more under the radar and it's unfortunate the way it is but i'm going with jalen green for rookie of the year my mvp for this 2021 2022 nba season is i'm predicting james harden the last time we saw james harden healthy he was the best player in basketball. He was playing the most efficient, the best, you know, effective basketball of his career. And the MVP has got to be, you know, on a top three, maybe four team in the conference, according to my criteria. You know, the one exception being Russ because he was averaging a triple-double. But the... You know, according to my standings, the Lakers production will be distributed too much to have one of those three win it. Donovan, maybe? You could consider him a dark horse. Devin Booker, I don't think he's going to produce enough with Chris Paul still there. I don't honestly want to I don't want to see Giannis win another one. Not that I'm not rooting for his success, but like seeing the same guy win the same award over and over again is kind of boring. I mean, you got to appreciate greatness, but at the same time, even even it's it's hard to go Three and four, three MVPs in four years is a really hard thing to do, and I don't think Giannis is going to do it. Durant's not going to play enough games. The Heat don't have an MVP caliber player. They have a good team, but Trey Young perhaps could make a run at it. Paul George's numbers are going to go down when Kawhi comes back. Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, Jokic, Steph, Damon, and Bede's teams all won't be good enough. Embiid could be runner-up though if Simmons plays and they get the third seed. I think Embiid has a chance. Here's why James Harden is the choice. He will play the most games on the best team 
second best team in the conference, whatever, and put up the best numbers. He's going to play the most games. He's the guy who doesn't miss games. The hamstring, honestly, the hamstring injury last year was a fluke. Extended absences aren't really his thing. He stays healthy for the most part. He's on one of the better teams. The Nets will be great. I think Durant taking a couple nights off is going to keep them from being the number one seed. But Harden's ready to be the leader. They're going to be high up in the standings. That's one of the main factors for me is he's going to help winning. And he's going to put up the best numbers. I I am predicting James Harden will lead the league in points per game and assists per game this year. I'm talking 30, 31, 32 points a game, 11 assists per game. With Kyrie gone, his scoring will be back to normal. He doesn't have to, you know, evenly. Not that he played with Kyrie that much because that big three played, what, eight games together? But sharing the floor with Durant is going to get him assists. James Harden checks all three boxes for me. Availability team success, and personal stats. The only, I mean, I I want you to try to name someone else besides Giannis who checks all three boxes. Availability, team success, and personal stats. Giannis is the only one who checks all three boxes for me, but again, winning three in four years is so hard. I doubt, unless he's averaging 35 and 15, that they'll vote for him again. Harden's been robbed of two MVPs already, so I think he deservingly gets his second this season it is time for five bold predictions this is just like it sounds it's five bold predictions i don't really know how else to describe it the utah jazz here's my first one the utah jazz will win at least 60 games in the regular season but lose in the first round why because their matchup with the warriors According to my standings, two plays seven. That's the Jazz and the Warriors. And I think the Warriors, with their playoff experience, with Clay back at that time, are going to beat the Jazz in the first round. Number two, Ben Simmons will play the entire season with the Sixers. Hmm, this sort of contradicts how it, where I put the Sixers in my standings. But who knows? Maybe if Simmons plays, it messes up the chemistry since they've been having the entire training camp without him. So, I think Ben Simmons will play the entire season with Philadelphia. What does that mean for Joel Embiid and the Sixers? I really don't know because I don't know how invested Simmons will be. Number three, Kyrie Irving will get traded. Do the Nets really have a choice? Like, honestly, he's just, if he's not going to get vaccinated, there's no use for him because literally, I don't think the Nets are going to change city law. So... Kyrie Irving, I think, is going to get traded. Where to? I have no idea. Number four, Luka Doncic will average a triple-double and not win MVP? What? Yes, because his team's sixth in the conference, potentially lower. And honestly, Russ has made averaging a triple-double so like ridiculously normal now that people are going to overlook the fact that he's averaging a triple-double and not really... You know, they'll maybe consider him in the MVP conversation, but not, you know, make him top of the list. And number five, I've already said this one, though. James Harden will lead the league in points per game and assists per game. That hasn't been done in a long time. I don't remember the last time it was done. But to wrap up today, this day in NBA history in 1969, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then known as Lou Alcindor, made his NBA debut. 
The Bucks won 119-110 against the Detroit Pistons. Abdul-Jabbar Alcindor had 29 points, 12 rebounds, and 6 assists. In 1974, we got two of them today. Two significant ones today. In 1974, Nate Thurman recorded the NBA's first quadruple double. Quadruple double. 22 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists, and 12 blocks in a 120-115 overtime win for the Bulls versus Atlanta. Alvin Robertson, Hakeem Olajuwon, and David Robinson are the only other three players that have done, that have gotten a quadruple double in NBA history. Happy birthday to Terrence Mann of the Los Angeles Clippers, Brittany Griner of the Phoenix Mercury, who just lost in the WMA Finals, which is actually what I want to talk about next real quick. Congrats to the Chicago Sky on winning the WNBA Championship. They beat the Phoenix Mercury in four games, three to one. It's the best of five in the WNBA. Winning game four in comeback fashion. They were down nine at the start of the fourth. They outscored Phoenix by 15 in the final corner and won 80-74. Kalia Copper was named Finals MVP. She was terrific throughout the postseason, averaging 18 points and seven rebounds per game, although I think it should have gone to Candace Parker who left all she knew in her career this past offseason, the L.A. Sparks, and went back home to Chicago. She came back home, where she was from, Chicago. The regular season was iffy. The team's record was just 16-16. and 16. The Sky were the sixth seed. But then they beat the number seven seed, Dallas Wings, number three seed, Minnesota Lynx, the number one seed, Connecticut Sun, before knocking off the number five seed, Phoenix Mercury, in the finals. That's four, one, two, sorry, three upsets in a row because Dallas was technically one lower than them. Candace averaged 13, 8, and 4 throughout those series and was just the heart and soul of this team. You could tell she wanted to bring home a championship for her city. Congratulations, Candace, and the Chicago Sky on your accomplishment. And finally, tune in tomorrow. The NBA tips off tomorrow night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on TNT with Nets at Bucks, followed by Warriors at Lakers at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. I am so excited for this NBA season. Can't wait for that Nets-Bucks matchup.